I know all the Niner fans were happy. All right. You're not playing today, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Raiders play at five something, right? right. We have Raider and Niner fans here, so yeah. I'm a cheesehead, so God bless you all. All right. So all right. Let's let's pray, and then we're gonna dive into God's word. You guys good with that? All right. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our time uh, to gather together to worship and to glorify you and you only, Lord, an audience of one. Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts and our minds and our lives with your word, that we would not only be hearers of your word, but also doers. Lord, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself. Fill me with yourself, that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We praise in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bible or Bible app, I turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. We're now in part two of our series, Church Life. Everyone say Church Life. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, again, is our text today. And before we even dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, which was verses 1 through 11. And I gave you two points. And the first point of last week's message and text was the greeting, say that, that's in verses 1 and 2. And Paul is writing as one who has been fully called and also fully commissioned by God. It wasn't as though Paul chose to be an apostle. And here in the text, he's stressing that his apostleship was not due to his desire, his goals, or his aspirations, education, or manipulation. He was an apostle because why? Because God commanded it. And the awareness of God's hand in his calling would hopefully do the same for Timothy. Now, after opening in authority as one as an apostle, Paul now balances, and I love this, his authority with an expression of affection. Say affection. Look at verse 2. Uh, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And this is an affectionate reminder of their relationship. And Timothy, we know this, right? Timothy's not Paul's true son in the flesh, but true son in the faith. And then Paul, what he does, he gives Timothy a blessing from the heart. And I love this. He says, grace mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is using uh, usual, and usually, usually in his usual greetings, it was only grace and peace. But here, and also in 2 Timothy, he includes the word mercy. Say mercy. And we, and we learned last week that the word mercy Paul uses here is in the Hebrew, and, and it has the meaning of help in time of need. Say that, help in time of of need, and it speaks of God's active intervention to help. And so he's simply saying that God would give Timothy the grace, mercy, and peace that Timothy needed to lead the Ephesian church because Timothy was having a hard time, right? The second point was guard the teaching. Everyone say that. Guard the teaching, verses 3 through 11. And Paul there, he dives right into the very purpose of the letter. And the first task that Paul sets Timothy to do was to guard the teaching of the church. Why? Because there were those who were teaching things that were contrary to the Word of God, to Scriptures. And Paul charges Pastor Timothy to use the authority that he, Timothy, had been given to confront and command these teachers not to teach anything other than the objective truth of God's Word. And the problem that's pre presenting an obstacle to the church in Ephesus is false doctrine. In other words, Paul's saying they're not sticking with God's word. And then in verse 4, Paul talks about uh, some junk, empty talk. 
that was circling in the church, and he tells Timothy to tell these guys to knock it off. Say, knock it off. Okay, to stop their useless, empty talk because those things are a distraction and they won't change a person's life. Only the Word of God will do that. And then verse 5 is the goal of Paul's exhortation to Timothy. He says the goal, the purpose of this command is love. Say love. And that word love is agapeo love, agape love, God's love, Christ-like, selfless, servant-hearted, sacrificial love, which comes from a pure heart. I love that, right? A good conscience and a sincere faith. And Paul, what he's doing, he's charging Timothy to stop these guys from all this useless talk. It's a waste of time. It won't help anybody He's saying, get the people, listen, Timothy, get the people back, say back, to the Word of God. Amen? Why? Because here's what's, here, here's what's going to come out of it. Love that issues a pure heart, right? A, a good conscience and a sincere faith. And you see, false doctrine, myths, and, and genealogies can't do that. Paul's saying only the Word of God can do that. Paul then states that some have strayed, strayed from the target of this love, which issues a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith, and have turned, he says, to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they, they speaking to the Judaizers, right? Judaizers, they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So they didn't understand the purpose nor the context, or content, excuse me, of God's law. They, the Judaizers, were leading the believers out of, listen now, the liberty of grace into the bondage of legalism. And they would tell people, this Christianity thing that, you know, you got going on, it's okay, but you have to keep the law, you got to be circumcised, you got to keep the Sabbath, you got to keep the dietary laws, etc., etc., etc. You got to do this in addition to having faith in Jesus Christ. They were saying it's Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that. Well, we know that's not true, right? Verse 8, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. And so Paul is making the point here that the law is good as long as as long as one uses it lawfully as it was meant and intended to be used. And we learned that the proper use of the law is to show us how sinful we are, right? It's a mirror, a mirror that reveals our sin, but it cannot cleanse us from our sin. Got it? It cannot. It was never meant to save us. And you see, the law is not a cure. It was just a mirror, and it was put in effect, get this now, to lead us to who? Christ, to Jesus. So in knowing this, Paul goes on to say in verses 9 through 10a, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous. In other words, friends, if the law has done its convicting work to bring us to Christ for justification and transformation, then it has done, this is now that it has done its convicting work in our lives. Amen? And it's not made for us anymore in that sense. And then Paul includes specific actions, sins that break the law. We covered that last week. Verses 10b through verse 11 clearly defines Paul's stance on what constitutes correct teaching, okay? And he had been entrusted, say entrusted, with this gospel, and he would also entrust Timothy with this gospel as well. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is Abundant Grace. Say with great enthusiasm, Abundant Grace. In today's text, Paul reflects on God's abundant saving grace over his life. Now, though grace is only mentioned once, once in the text, it flows throughout the text. 
So after Paul declared how the false teachers were misusing the law as means of salvation, he began to think about his own background and think about his own calling and think about his salvation and the abundant grace God poured over him. So he writes to encourage this young preacher, Timothy. He wants to encourage him to continue to serve the Lord faithfully. And in an effort to accomplish his goal of encouraging Timothy, Paul uses his life as an example, say example, of what Jesus can do through his grace and through his power. And he says to Timothy, look look at me, Timothy, look at me. Look at what the Lord has done for me. Amen? You see, Paul knew that if Timothy could ever see that God could take a man like Paul with all of his baggage and save Paul by his grace and use Paul for God's glory, then God could do a wonderful work, say wonderful work, through Timothy as well. And Paul knew it was important to share this with Timothy. He wanted to encourage him by, by sharing his testimony. This is very purposeful on Paul's part. So let's walk through the text as Paul encourages young Timothy. If you're ready, say yes. Four points. Number one is the servant. Say that. Write that down, the servant. Let's look at verse 12. Now, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. We know Jesus is God. Amen. Who has given me strength. In other words, your Bibles might say enabled me that he considered or counted me faithful, appointing me to his service. So Paul begins thanking God for the spiritual power needed for his ministry. And and I love how Paul fully embraced Jesus' teaching found in John chapter 15, verse 5. Some of you guys might know this by heart where Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do absolutely what? Nothing. Not a zip zero. And Paul's power to serve in the ministry came from Jesus, God himself, and not his own human ability. And Paul refers himself as an example. I love that word. Say example of one whom Jesus Christ the Lord enabled him to serve effectively, who put him in the ministry to serve. Now now listen to me, okay? Whatever it is that you do in the church, whatever it is that you do here at Cry Out, God put you and appointed you in that ministry for his service. Yeah? He gifted you. He gifted you with the ability to do that. He gave you the, the power. Say the power. Look at the text. Who has given me strength, enabled me, Paul says. And whatever he has called you to do, he will empower, he will equip, and give you all the resources that that you need to get his work done for his glory and not your own. Amen? You see, Paul knew that. He knew that. And he knew that he needed the power of God to do what he was called to to do, and he couldn't do it in his own strength. He could not do it in his own power. And he he knew that without God's power, he knew he would never last in the ministry. So are you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Spiritual labor requires spiritual power. Amen? Spiritual labor requires spiritual power. Not just natural gifts, okay? Not just natural talents or abilities, Listen, just because someone sings or speaks well or is educated doesn't enable them when it comes to the spiritual things of God. Amen? 
Our strength and competence to serve comes from God, not from ourselves. Now, I know society has a hard time with that, right? Okay? 2 Corinthians 3, 5. And Paul writes this, Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Amen? And yes, he does use your gifts and abilities. We get that. But it all comes from him. Amen? Now, I want to point out something. Look at the text again. That he considered or counted, Paul says, me faithful. Got that? Appointing me to his service. Paul had been tested. Someone say tested. And found to be faithful. Tested and found to be trustworthy. You see, the various trials that Paul had endured revealed that he could be trusted. Follow me here. He didn't bail out when times were tough. Amen? You read about Paul. He didn't bail out when times were tough. He didn't quit when things didn't go his way. He didn't quit the ministry. Amen? He was tested and found to be faithful, found to be trustworthy. So with that being said, question, can Jesus count on you? Can Jesus count on, on you? As, as you serve him, does, does he consider you, does he count you to be faithful, trustworthy? You see, friends, when he gifts us and gives us a ministry of service, our duty and desire is to serve him there faithfully that he can trust us and count on us to get it done. Amen? Back to the text. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. Say, thank Christ. Say, Jesus, our Lord. Again, I thank Christ, Jesus, our Lord. Focus on that, who has given me strength, enabled me, that he considered, counted me faithful, appointed me uh, uh, to his service. I thank Christ, Jesus, our Lord. It is from this thankfulness that Paul served the Lord. From this thankfulness that he served the living God. Ministry begins with a gratitude. Say, gratitude. For the salvation that has been given by Jesus Christ. Ministry, say ministry, is not a vocation or a way to gain attention, but a lowly place of service. And that being said, I want to say this, church leadership is servant leadership. I'm going to say it again, church leadership is servant leadership. It's an attitude of service. It's sacrificial service. I want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28. Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus said, just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There's the example. Now, now I can't give my life as a ransom, okay? And neither can you, but we can give our lives to Jesus. Amen? And those he has called us to serve. Now, now listen, Okay? This is, this is what you, listen, cry out. This is what you should expect from your leaders here at Cry Out. Amen? Let me say this. The pastor is to be the chief servant, not the center of attention. God wants servants, not celebrities. Amen? Now let me say this. In God's word, you are called to esteem and encourage your pastor or pastors, but you are not to exalt them. Amen? And I just feel we have too many celebrity pastors in our world today where they're being exalted, exalted, rather than esteemed. 
You guys with me? So say the servant. Number two is the sinner and salvation. The sinner and salvation. Now you got to love this, right? Amen? Verse 13, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, your Bibles might say insolent or injurious. I want to stop there. And this is a, a sample of who Paul was. And he, he gives an insight into his former life. And Paul's like, this is what I was before Jesus got his hands on me. Amen? And he was a blasphemer. That's what it says, right? He cursed the name of Jesus, and, and he forced others to do the same. He hated Jesus, he hated Christians, and he hated the church. He also was a persecutor. He caused trouble. He even had people put to death for following Jesus. He also was a violent man. Your Bibles might say insolent, which means rude, or injurious, which means harmful, right? He heaped insulting language and did harm, harm to others. Now notice Paul, and I want you to get this. Paul didn't say that he was accused, okay, of being a blasphemer, persecutor, and a violent man. He said he was. He was a blasphemer, persecutor, and violent man. He took full responsibility, say full responsibility, for his sin. You guys got it? Let's read on. I was shown mercy, say mercy, because I acted in ignorance, excuse me, ignorance and unbelief. Now, now, Paul is not making excuses here. Got it? He's simply stating the fact. He didn't understand the ramifications of his actions because as a devout, or devout, excuse me, devout Jew who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, he thought he was earnestly and faithfully serving God. He thought he was doing the right thing. You guys with me? He honestly believed that. That in persecuting Christians, he was doing the right thing and he was honoring God, I want you to get this now, okay? We can actually think we're doing right when in fact we're doing wrong. <laughs> right? Listen, God in his mercy, I love this, did not give Paul what he did deserve. Instead, God in his grace, say grace, gave Paul what he did not deserve. Amen? Verse 14. Say, say grace. Here we go. Look at verse 14. The grace of our Lord. Love that. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me, what? Abundantly. I want to stop there. I love this. I love this. You see, when Paul says that God's grace was poured out on him abundantly, he coins a word here by adding the Greek prefix hyper meaning above, over, and more to a word that already means super abundant. So that means this. When he says that, he poured out... On me, super, super grace, super, super abundant over my life. It was super, super abundant grace. You see, God's grace flooded over Paul like ocean waves that keep coming and coming and coming without end. A good place to say amen. You ready for the lesson? Here we go. God's grace is far more abundant than our sins. I'm not going to say amen to that. Amen. All right. You see, the greater our sin, the greater and more abundant his grace. I love what John Newton said, the writer of Amazing Grace. And up in age, getting old, he says, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner 
and Christ is a great Savior. Amen? Now, not only is God's grace more than abundant, but also, let's read on, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, when grace came into Paul's life, into Paul's heart, it brought with it faith and love. In other words, it allowed Paul to love God and other Christians he had formerly hated. Amen? Got it? Verse 15. Stay with me now. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And you got to love this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst, Paul says. You guys get that? I mean, as horrible as Paul's sins were, God's grace and forgiveness was even greater. And this is the faithful saying that should be repeated in every single church. So I want to repeat that phrase here at Cry Out. Say, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Say that. Jesus. One more time, say it louder. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the gospel. This is why Jesus came. Amen? Now, some preach the gospel with an emphasis that you are all sinners. Okay? But I love how Paul didn't have any problem at all putting himself in the place of the sinner that Jesus had saved. Notice he doesn't say of whom I was, of whom I was, of, he doesn't say of whom I was the worst or was the chief of all sinners, but I am, I am the worst, the chief of all sinners. Paul uses the present tense. And I want to tell you, it's significant that Paul makes this statement. I'll tell you why. Because he's making this statement not as a new believer. He's making this statement after he had walked with God over 25 years. Did you get that? And what this reveals is the depth of his personal sorrow over his sin. I'm the greatest of sinners, Paul says. And, and this awareness of his sinfulness, this has now deepened the gratitude of God's mercy and God's grace in his life. Now, if you're saved, say amen. We are all still sinners. And we're saved, but you're still what? We're saved, but we're saved sinners. And sometimes as Christians, we try to pretend that we're to be something that we're not. And it's going to be quiet now. Okay, okay. We, we, we pretend to be better than we really are. Listen, Paul wasn't embarrassed to say that he was a sinner. Even the chief, the worst of sinners. And this is not like, you know, Paul's not like, you know, talking on some false humility this is just a simple truth. And why did he say that? Because he wanted to be accountable to God. Amen? Now, I want to remind you that this is Paul writing to Timothy, a pastor, a leader in the church. And so this letter is written about church leadership, right? We, we established that in part one, right? It's written about church leadership. And this is a great reminder to say that any church leader, that, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that... None of us, church leaders or period believers, none of us deserve this place that we now hold. None of us deserve to be where we are. We, we just need to keep this close to our heart and our mind. It's all because of Him. Amen? I want to say this. The closer that you and I, that we walk with God, the more we should be aware of the depths of our sinful nature, which in turn should drive us to a deeper appreciation of His mercy and his grace. Right? 
Alexander McLaren said this, the more you become like Christ, the more you will find out your unlikeness to him. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said this, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. We are, are we really learning that lesson as Paul has established here in the text? As we walk with God, listen friends, as, as we, we, we learn more and more listen, the sin that lurks in our own hearts, okay, when we know that, in turn, it should drive us, listen now, drive us humbly and thankfully to God's grace and mercy in Christ Jesus. You guys with me? You see, we especially need to learn that we are the chief of sinners. And I'll tell you why. And we learned this from Paul. I'll tell you why. Otherwise, we will fall into self-righteous pride, self-reliance, and we will never love God much because we won't realize how much we were forgiven. Now, if you're safe, say amen. We're not ready to shout over mercy. And we're not ready to shout over grace until we have wept over our sin. Amen? Okay, we're not ready to give God praise over his mercy and grace in our lives until we have mourned over our sin because we're still sinners. We need to deal with our sin and then, and then praise God because he has shown us his mercy and his grace. We're not what we ought to be, but thank God. Someone say, thank God. We're not what we used to be, right? All because of his mercy and all because of his grace. And I want to say this. The church should not only be a place of sound doctrine, but also a place of grace. Say the servant. Say the sinner in salvation. And number three is the showpiece. You guys with me? The showpiece, an example. Verse 16. But for that very reason I was shown, what? Mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might, here's the word, display. <laughs> Love it. His unlimited patience. Thank God it's unlimited. Amen? As an example for those who would believe on him and receive what? Eternal life. Paul's salvation not only reflected God's glory, but also became a model, a sketch, if you will, a pattern, a display, a showpiece for us to see what God has done in Paul's life. He saved Paul to demonstrate his amazing grace to even the worst of sinners. And by saving a chief sinner like Paul, turning the blasphemer into a believer, the persecutor into a preacher, and the murderer into a missionary, it gives hope to others who are far away from God and those praying for the salvation of others. And I want to tell you, this should encourage us to never stop praying for even the most hardened sinner we know. Keep praying. Amen? And be the example. You see, if God could save and, and then use someone like Paul, then God can do the same for you and me. You know, Paul's like, Paul's like, hey, you know, my life is an example. My life is a showpiece. God has saved me, put me on display for his glory to point others to himself. And by my testimony, Paul's essentially saying, and by my example, people can get a glimpse 
a glimpse of God's mercy and God's grace in my life. And if God can save me, he can save anybody. This is what can happen to a life in the hands of God. Two lessons, you ready? Here we go. Wherever we go, we're on display. Wherever we go, we're on display. Christians, do you hear that? Everywhere we go, people are watching us. <laughs> They're watching you, right? Us, how we act, how we speak, what we watch, what we listen to, especially those, listen, people are watching us, especially those who used to know us before we got saved, <laughs> right? If you're saved, say amen. He saved us to set us out before a lost and dying world to tell them if God can save me, he can do the same for you too. So we need to be living testimonies. That's what Paul's driving at, living testimonies of God's life-changing power. We need to live in a way through word, through word, and also through deed that displays God's mercy and grace in our lives. Because God wants people to see what he can do with a life in his hands. The second lesson is this, and get this now. Our past does not disqualify us from serving God. Everyone should say amen to that. Amen. Paul's past, okay, did not disqualify him from serving God. And like Paul, okay, let our past be in the past. Let it be in the past. And thank God for his grace and thank God for his mercy. We are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. So move forward and serve him. Don't let your past hinder you from serving the living God. Amen? Say the servant. Say the sinner in salvation. Say the showpiece. Number four is the song. Say that, the song. I love this. I love this. And what Paul does, Paul closes with a song of praise. And you see, after recalling his experience of, 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 of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, after remembering what he was before Jesus found him and all that Jesus done for him. When he considers it all, when Paul considers it all, he can't hold back his anthem of praise. Did you guys get that? He was compelled. He was moved to worship and praise. He burst, I love this, into a doxology of praise to glorify God. And in his outburst of praise, Paul gives four wonderful designations for our great God. You guys ready? Verse 17. Now to the King Eternal. Say King Eternal. In other words, he always was, always is, always will be King, ruling and reigning in complete power and glory for all of eternity. He's the King of ages. Then he says, immortal. Say immortal. In other words, existing before, existing before anything else existed. He doesn't perish. He doesn't grow old. He doesn't decay. He doesn't die. Then he says, invisible. Say invisible. Though you can't see him, he's there. Amen? And then he says, the only God. The New, New King James renders it as to God alone who is wise. So he's the only one true God who knows and understands all things because he's wise. Amen? 
king eternal, Paul says, immortal, invisible, the only God. And what he's doing and what he's driving at, get this now, he's telling Timothy, this is the God that I serve and this is the God that you serve. So be encouraged. And now that Paul has described God and his unique attributes, Paul now ascribes to God the glory due to his name. And he says, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Yes, that's what amen means. If you're saved, say amen. When we as believers, you've got to get this. When we ponder on who God is, where God found us, what God did for us, what he's doing in us and through us and where God is taking us. How can we keep quiet? How can we keep from praising him, friends? How can we not lift up our voices, come on, and praise him? We shouldn't hold it in because God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Give him praise, honor in glory, let's all stand. Amen. Well, we can get excited in church. All right? We can get excited in church. Amen. Some of y'all get excited at football games. Oh, yeah, I seen you on Facebook. Oh, I, I, come on. All right? God is good. And Paul was excited about this living God. Timothy Look at what the Lord has done for me. Amen. Oh, Father, we thank you. You are an amazing God. We are called to love you, to live for you, to worship you, to be on display, to show others what you have done in our lives. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Let's praise him. He is worthy. Amen. And perhaps there's someone here this morning, you, you've never given your life, your heart to Jesus. I mean, I mean, after hearing this, how can you not say, I need Jesus? If that's you, if you've never been saved, you want to be saved today, come right to the front and I'll pray with you. If you want to experience God's mercy and God's grace, come forward and I'll pray with you. Okay, Christians, you're on display. You're on display. And guess what? We're saved, but we're saved sinners. Huh? Got it? Hey, we're not all that. Okay? We're not all that. And we got to be very vulnerable and, and open to say, look at I fall short. But glory to God for his grace and mercy in my life. Amen? And might we follow the example that we see here in the scriptures in the text. Worst chief of all sinners, but thank God for his grace and his mercy. Amen? And that we would, in our lives, break out in praise to the one who has saved us, redeemed us, and who has transformed our lives to his glory forever and ever. Amen. Hug somebody, okay? Hug somebody. Say, look what the Lord has done. For me, come on, tell them. God bless you.